Well, good morning, church. Morning, good morning, good morning. Hey, it's, um, hey, it's really great to be with you. Uh, it's great to sing to Jesus with you. It's great to worship alongside of you. Uh, if we haven't met, uh, my name is Paul, and I'm the teaching pastor here. Again, just, just really grateful uh, to worship with you. If you're a guest this morning, I just want to say a very special welcome to you. Uh, really, one thing that we would ask of you this morning, guests, is in front of you, you'll see uh, a little little thing. It's got a QR code on it. If you open up your camera phone, or your, your camera phone, that's right, that's what we call it. <laughs> open up your camera phone since it's 2002, and um, go ahead and take a photograph of that uh, QR code. Now, scan it with your camera app. I think I'm speaking more relevant language now. It will direct you to lpguest.com. When you're there, there's a digital guest information card. We'd love for you to fill that out. Um, and, and the reason for that is, one, we'd love to connect with you. Two, um, at the bottom of that card, there are several different ministries that we partner with. You can select one of those ministries. We'll donate five bucks in your honor to that ministry. We just need you to fill out that card. Also, you will see there are notes um, on lpguest.com for the message. And I will also say every week, there are notes uh, for the messages on the LifePoint Ohio app as well, which is something we have as a church. All right, that, all that being said, um, again, grateful to be here. I want to give you a bit of an update. Um, so last week, we, we ended a series um, that we, we spent three weeks in walking through missions and really focusing on, okay, how do we plug into, how do we live out, how do we connect um, to living out the Great Commission, to go and to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them and to teach them all of the ways and the teachings of the Lord, to obey what it is that Jesus has commanded us. And so um, we spent three weeks really looking at that. And at the end of that series, uh, last week, we said, hey, we're going we're gonna to spend uh, from, from Sunday to Saturday, so yesterday, every dollar given, we get to give away in Ascension. We get to use to fuel missions for the next 12 months. Okay, and we, we did a recap of what we got to do with the wide open, we call it the wide open world mission, missions offering in the previous 12 months. And what we got to see is that from the generosity of our other campuses, again, we are one church, we meet in five different locations, from the generosity of our other campuses last year, over the past 12 months, $202,000 were given across all of those campuses. And what we got to do is we got to give away about $101,000 to our partner ministries locally, nationally, and globally. And what we also got to do is to pay for half of the trip cost for those who call LifePoint Church, uh, or those who are members of Life, excuse me, of LifePoint Church. Uh, the, the language I used last week was we want to be a going people, so we need to be a giving people because going is expensive. And so we got to do that over the past 12 months. And again, $202,000 given last year. This year, we said, hey, here's all the things we, we want to do. Instead of sending 85 people out, we want to send like 125 other partnerships we want to do. We want to continue the, the ministry support. And our goal across five campuses was, was $325,000, which is a whole lot of money. It's a chunk of change. So uh, this morning, we got the final update, and um, it's pretty stunning. $339,000 was given. That's a, it's like, Lord, thank you, <laughs> and please help us steward that well. We, we need wisdom. We need discernment. We need just, please, Lord, help us use these funds well. Um, all that to say, we have a plan for, for what that goes toward. And again, we walked through this. We want to send so many people. We want to support so many local missions, national partners, global partners. Here at the Marion campus, I was like, in my head, like, Lord, if, if Marion could give $10,000, I would be like, fantastic, like, crushed it, guys. From Marion alone, 
$11,400 was given. And so, I mean, seriously, like, it's just in one week. And again, that goes toward funding missions for the next 12 months. And so, so grateful. I just wanted to give you an update there. Thank you. Praise Jesus. And now let's steward that well. And we'll keep you updated as we go. We'll, we'll let you know when trips are forming. Uh, we want to get you on trips. We need to go. Uh, we need to be a part of what God is doing in the world. And we get to. Uh, and that is an absolute blessing. Now, all of that being said, if you have more questions for that, I'd be happy to, to talk um, with you about that. Today, we're starting a new series uh, called Under the Sun. And in this series, um, if you're super familiar with your Bible, you might know where we're going. Um, we're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes from now until about mid-August. And we will have what's called a standalone message somewhere, I think, 4th of July weekend. But um, in this, we are walking uh, through many of the chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes. If you're not familiar, if you have your Bible and you open up pretty much to the middle, you'll probably open up in the Psalms. If you then flip a book forward to the right, you'll get to Proverbs. Ecclesiastes is just after the book of Proverbs. And Ecclesiastes um, is one of three books of wisdom in the Bible. So the Bible has many different types of books. Right? The Bible has categories of books that we refer to as the law. If you go into the New Testament, you see the first four books of the New Testament. We refer to those as the Gospels. The Gospels are the account of the good news, that's what the word gospel means, of the life of Jesus. And so there's always these different categories and groupings of book, books. And so Ecclesiastes is a wisdom book. Uh, Proverbs is a book of wisdom. The book of Job is the book of wisdom. And, and the book of Ecclesiastes, frankly, is um, upon first read, it's like, what is happening? <laughs> it can sound really, really depressing. It can sound really, really pointless. It, it can be difficult to understand. And so... That being said, um, the book of Ecclesiastes, there's some, there's some differing of opinion, but my, I, I would land, and I think most biblical scholars would land, that, that this was written by a, a guy named King Solomon. Solomon was the most powerful uh, king uh, of Israel. He, when, when he was made king, what he did, it was so good, he went to the Lord and he said, God, please make me wise. I don't have wisdom on my own. Would you make me wise? God was pleased with this request, and God gave him more wisdom than anyone ever. God also gave him great power, great wealth. What we see, unfortunately, is that Solomon's heart is corrupted. He ends up marrying a lot of women, which is never a good idea, okay? And uh, a lot of foreign women, and they turn his heart away from the one true God. He really falls away from the Lord for a long period of time. It's a tragic story. In this book, scholars uh, believe that this book was written toward the end of Solomon's life, after he has pursued great wealth, after he has pursued great pleasure, after he has pursued everything the world has to offer him, he comes up with meaningless. Comes up with, what's the point? And so the big idea of this series is really that God offers us a full life in an empty world. God offers us a full life in an empty world. And so what we're going to be doing throughout these weeks is looking at the wisdom of Solomon, again, the wisest man to ever live, other than Jesus, of course, just, just to be clear. And we're going to learn from what Solomon has to say. Now, I will say, again, it's a difficult book to engage with. There's two primary voices within this book. The first voice is the voice of the preacher, or uh, you might say teacher, and that's the dominant voice of the entire book. There's a second voice, and that voice is really the voice of sort of the narrator or the, the author. And again, people believe that to be Solomon. So what we'll see is the narrator will jump in and provide summary statements, clarifying statements, because what the teacher or the preacher doing is he's almost externally processing. 
He's just spewing it all out there. And this book is his collection of externally processed thoughts that are combined together that we might gain wisdom. Okay? So all of that introduction being given, I do want to pray for us once again. And uh, I want to get into the text. We'll be in chapter 1, most of chapter 1 today. Okay? Father, uh, I'm really grateful again to be here this morning. Uh, I'm really grateful that you give us your word, that it would lead us and guide us. And so please, God, help us understand. It's a difficult book to understand, but I believe there's so much wisdom here for us. We want to live meaningful lives. And so, God, by the power of your spirit, allow us to do that. We want to live lives that matter, lives that glorify you, Jesus. Please do that by the power of your spirit. It's in Christ's name we come to you, asking these things. Amen. All right. Verse 1 says this. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Okay, so the author or the narrator, the editor of this book, he's introducing, he's saying, hey, what you're about to read are the words of the preacher. And so the preacher is almost this character. And again, we can think of the preacher as King Solomon because it says, son of David, king of, in Jerusalem. Again, there's some differing opinion there, but to me it seems pretty clear. And so what we're again about to read are the words of the preacher, the teacher. Verse 2 says this, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Great. <laughs> it's really depressing, potentially. But I do want to, um, depending on your translation, if you are in the NLT or the NIV, that word instead of vanity might say meaningless, okay? And I think that's a little bit easier to grasp. What is the meaning of this? Meaningless, meaningless. All is meaningless. The Hebrew word here, the Greek word, I forget which, I apologize. I should know that. I do, but I can't remember right now. The word hevel, all right, is the word being used here. And it's a bit like this. Imagine it was January instead of June right now. And if you walked outside in January and you exhaled, you would see your breath more than likely because it's usually like negative 27 degrees in January. And so you would exhale and you would see this puff and you would see it and, and your breath would be there right in front of you. And it almost looks as though you could reach out and grab it, right? Maybe, maybe it's just me. It was really, really cold. But here's the thing. If you were foolishly to breathe, I want to see somebody doing this sometime, it would just be sort of funny, and reach out and try and grab it, you wouldn't grab anything, you would grab air. And as soon as you saw that breath, it would essentially disappear the very same moment. That's the meaning of the word hevel, which is translated as vanity or meaninglessness. It's nothing. It's like grasping at breath in the air. You might look like it, it's like smoke. Try and grab smoke, you're not going to get anything. And so what he's saying is meaningless, meaningless. It's all meaningless. And so now I think the question is, well, what is meaningless? What is it that the author is saying is meaningless? And that's then when we get to verse 3. He says this, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Okay, once again, we need to clarify some things and really get to the point of, okay, what is being said? And so, essentially, when we read the word under the sun, uh, this is a really important one. When we read the word under the sun, what we need to understand is that, that under the sun means, right, things of this world and non-spiritual things. Right, so he's saying, look, under the sun, that is like the, the things that are, like, you see, you catch the sun's rays, everything of this world, he is saying, when he means under the sun. And so he's saying, meaningless, meaningless is everything under the sun. And so then he's also saying, what does, the man, what does a man gain? What does a person gain 
for working and, and laboring and toiling and pursuing these things under the sun. And we already know his answer from verse 2, meaninglessness. It's getting more depressing. The more we understand, the more it's like, why did I come today? Am I wasting my life? He would say, look, what does someone gain by toiling away? And what he's going to do over the next 11 chapters is he's going to tell us all of the things that he pursued as the most powerful man in the world to try and find meaning, significance, purpose. He's going to say he pursued knowledge. He's going to say that he pursued sex. He's going to say that he pursued possessions. He's going to say that he pursued all of these things. And his end conclusion to all of it is meaningless. What's the point? And now in verses 4 through 11, he's going to explain how it is that he draws this conclusion and comes to this conclusion. And again, I know right now it's like, this is a real downer. Just stick with me. We'll work through it, okay? Verses 4 through 11 say this. A generation goes, and again, speaking of, look, it's all meaningless. Let me prove it to you. This is essentially what he's doing. Let me prove this to you. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and round goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they will flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Again, in the world. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has already been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. So basically what he's saying here is, look, if you're alive, great. The world's going to keep on spinning. Streams are going to keep on flowing. They're going to go into the ocean, back out. The sun is going to rise. Ears are going to hear. Eyes are going to see. They're never really going to get full. They're going to want to keep hearing and they're going to want to keep seeing. One generation doesn't really remember the next, and so it doesn't matter really if you are here or not. Again, stick with me. And I, I think about this. Is he right? Is that true? And I, I think about it for a minute. Some of the most interesting places in the world we call ruins. Right? Ancient ruins. Why do we call them ruins? Because they were once great civilizations that are now in ruin. Imagine the leaders of those great civilizations, what power they would have had in the heyday of that civilization. Immense power, immense wealth. That was just the leaders. But now it's half buried and decaying. Populations have gone. The pharaohs of Egypt were viewed as gods. Now we walk through museums and stare at them. Seems a bit futile, doesn't it? Even in relative history, look at people like the Rockefellers or Carnegie. They built sort of the industry of America. Great power, great wealth, and, and we might know, we might not. There's some buildings in their honor, that's great, but eventually it'll be ruins as well. So here's, here's the point. If you live your life for this world, 
you will live a meaningless life. If you live life for this world only, you will live a meaningless life. And that may be one of the most offensive things someone can say to you. It's a harsh thing to say. It's a tense thing to say. Because some of us right now are like, I don't want to live a meaningless life. I'm working really hard. Yes, you are. Praise God. I'm doing all of these things. I'm a parent. Isn't there meaning in parenting? There can be. Absolutely. Isn't there meaning in working with, with folks who are, who are in need of help? There can be. But there's a real key. What I, what I hope we leave with by the end of this morning is an understanding of how it is we live a meaningful life. How it is we don't waste our life. We only have one life to live. How do we not waste it? How do we make it matter? And so to process through that, the first thing I want to do is to really process through something called worldview. Okay? And, and forgive me here for a moment. It's going to get a little bit nerdy, but I think this is important to understand. You see, worldview, as again, we're processing through how do I min- live a meaningful life? How do I live a life that matters? Worldview is very, very important in this because worldview, that word actually sort of defines itself. A worldview is the view through which or the lens through which we view the world. It's how we see the world, okay? Really from a, a morals and a, a philosophy, things like that. And so the thing about a worldview is a worldview often individually comes a bit like a preset in technology. For example, if you go out and you buy a new TV and you take that TV home and it is sweet, right? Really nice. And you plug that TV in, there's probably going to be preset settings. It's going to have a certain color temperature. It's going to have a certain aspect ratio. These are sort of the factory preset settings for your TV. Worldview is actually very, very similar. See, we often adopt the view, the worldview of the world. We often naturally take upon ourselves the natural way in which the world views the world, and we think how the world thinks. Sort of natural, because we've all sinned. The worldview of the world is one full of sin. And so there's two really, really important key terms that sort of make up our worldview today. And again, I'm getting nerdy, but I think it's really important to understand because if we keep living in the factory presets, we're going to live a meaningless life. And so we've got to make some changes. We've got to change the settings, okay? And so there, there's a lot of terms that I could go to here, but, but the first one I want to take us to in, in really defining what the worldview of today is, is something called existentialism. Okay, existentialism. I've got a definition here for you. It's the philosoph- philosophical belief that we each are responsible for creating purpose or meaning in our own lives, right? That, that our individual self can determine what is true and what is not true, that government or God, or anything else outside of us cannot tell us what the meaning of life is. It's called existentialism, okay? There's another term that I think is important to understand. It's called hedonism. Hedonism is this idea, this view, this belief that says the ultimate aim of life is pleasure. The greatest thing you can do is find pleasure. The greatest thing you can do is find some form of of pleasure, whatever that may be. And so when you mash those two things together, what's the worldview that you get? I can determine the meaning. My greatest aim is pleasure. You do you, whatever that means to you. Isn't that right? Isn't that the worldview 
that we have today. That, that's the view of the worldview of the world. <laughs> Again, I'm sort of speaking in cycles here a little bit. But it's, hey, whatever that means to you, you go ahead and pursue it. You go ahead and do it. Whatever that means to you. And so now, when we, when we look at this in relationship to what Solomon is saying, if we naturally follow that worldview of whatever you need to do, you go ahead and do it. I believe, church, we're going to live a meaningless life. Because, as Solomon says, the world keeps on spinning, the rivers keep on flowing. What's the point? You gain some satisfaction, you gain some things. What now? And so... With all of that sort of angst and tension, I want to try and resolve that in the remainder of our time. Thankfully, Solomon, the author, does. After 11 chapters of processing out loud, and we're going to go through much of that throughout the series, Solomon says this in chapter 12, verse 13. In chapter 12, verse 13, he says this. The end of the matter. Again, after all of this, all has been heard. And this is what he says. This is the summary Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's it. You want to live a meaningful life? You want to live a life that matters? You want to live a life of significance as we all do, as we all should? The wisest man to ever live, the word of God, the authoritative word of God says, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, I think we have a lot of questions. How does that result in meaning? How does fearing God, how does keeping the commandments of God, how does that ultimately allow us to live a life that matters and live a life that means something? And so I want to try and unpack this for us, okay? First thing, number one, when we fear God, we just have to understand our life will have meaning. And, and I want to walk through how it is that that actually happens. You see, when we say the word fear God, I want to be really clear, and I think most of us probably know this, but if you don't, that's okay. When you hear the word fear God and you think terror, that's not what the Bible is talking about when it uses the language fear God. The language is more like reverence, respect, adoration. And so it's saying fear God. It's saying, God, you are holy. You are perfect. You are set apart. You are righteous. God, you are mighty. All of the things that we just sang about, it's the same God who parted the seas, all of those things, he is the same God today. And so a healthy fear of God looks to that God and is in awe of who that God is. And here's the thing about that. When we have a right view of God, and I've used a point like this probably 12 times, and I'll use it 12 more times in the next year. When we have a right view of God, we will therefore then have a right view of self. It just happens naturally. When we understand God is holy, set apart, perfect, it's like looking in the mirror and realizing how unholy, how imperfect we are, myself included. We are confronted with the reality of our sin nature. We're confronted with the reality that we are broken. We're confronted with the reality that we are flawed when we have a healthy reverence and awe for who God is. And so how does that then help us reject the worldview of the world. Well, if you have a high view of God and a view of God that actually says, no, you're broken, suddenly you begin to reject existentialism. You begin to reject the idea that you have the wisdom, the power, and the knowledge to say what anything means. 
Who am I to say? I'm messed up. I don't know what I'm doing. But God does. And so we begin to naturally change the default factory settings. Because we begin to say, no, my view of the world is not based upon what I think. I don't know what's best for my life. I don't know what plans to follow. I don't know what's right and wrong. I am not the arbiter of truth. I cannot be because I am flawed. But God can be because he is perfect. And so, again, this reverential view of God, what that does is it says, no, God, what do you say? This is a difficult issue I'm I'm navigating. This is a moral issue I'm feeling. God, what do you say? What does your word say about this? What do you think, God? How should I live my life, God? What do you say? God becomes the authority in your life. And that begins through faith in Christ. See, when we have a healthy fear of God, again, we realize we need a Savior. And we, when we look to the cross and we see Christ hung on the cross for us, bearing upon himself the wrath of God, we realize, God, you're so merciful. You're so good. And then when Jesus walked out of the grave after three days, because Jesus walked out of the grave, that is the key to everything, because it means every word of this is true. Every single word. If Jesus didn't walk out of the grave, none of this matters and we're all wasting our time. The Apostle Paul would actually say that. But because he did walk out of the grave, what it means is that God is alive, that God is real, that God has authority, that God has power. And so when it comes to living a meaningful life, it must start with a holy fear, reverence, awe of God because we will have a right understanding of who we are and we will look to God versus self. So that's, that's step one. And again, just from the text, right? What is the end of the matter? Fear God. Point two. He says this, fear God and keep his commandments. And so we live a meaningful life when we keep God's commandments. This isn't rocket science. (laughs) It's pretty simple. But that's a hard thing to do. And so once again, I want to ask how. How is it that we fear God? How is it that when we keep commandments, we actually end up living a meaningful life? And I think this goes into rejecting human, uh, hedonism. Excuse me. Remember, hedonism, there's, there's certain types of hedonism. I want to point us toward a Christian hedonism. Hedonism of a worldly view says, whatever I can get, whatever pleasure I can attain, that's what I want to do. I'm going to pursue whatever thing, whatever thing I think is going to make me happy, and you better not tell me that's wrong. But all of a sudden, if we begin following the commandments of God, what we begin doing is being confronted with a worldly view of hedonism. Because Jesus gives us some really difficult commands. Matthew 4, Jesus tells us to repent. That is never comfortable. It's never easy. But somehow, God says, when we repent, we'll actually live a life of meaning. It's actually good for us. Matthew 18, Jesus tells us to forgive those who have sinned against us. Forgiveness is hard. Logically speaking, What is the great, I want to pursue joy, I want to pursue peace, I want to pursue happiness, all of these things. The idea of forgiving someone that has wronged me seems to go against the very nature of a worldly hedonistic view. But he says, no, actually, your life will have meaning if you forgive. Mark 12, he tells us to love your neighbor as yourself. That's hard to do. It just is. What if we took that command seriously? What would that look like for you? What would it look like to love your neighbor really, really well? Maybe some of you are. I think some of you are, and it's really good to see. But what would that actually look like? Matthew 28, 
We talked about this over the past several weeks. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all that I have commanded you. What does it look like to actually obey that? In John chapter 13, Jesus says the world will know us by how we love others. Elsewhere in the scriptures, they say that we need to pick up our cross and follow Christ. All of these commandments of God go against the very push of culture. But to live a meaningful life, that's what we must do. It's who we need to be. And again, I think there's still a little bit of lingering why. How does that actually work? What's the process? And again, we've talked about these principles and these ideas before, but but the point of the universe is God. Everything is about God. It's about the glory of God. It's about who God is. It's about revealing the glory of God to the world. You see, when we were created, in Genesis 1, it says we were created in the image of God. Therefore, when the rest of the world looks at us, the original intent was that we would point people to God. We're supposed to reflect who God is. And so, how does this then live toward meaning? When we reject the idea that we know best and we say, God, you know best, suddenly we're pointing people to God. When we reject the idea that I should just do whatever I want to do because it feels good, and instead we obey the commandments of God, we bring glory to God. You see, this world, it's like a play. The spiritual forces of the world are are looking down. We have an opportunity in everything that we do to point people and to point all things to the glory of God. And so when we repent when we love our neighbor as ourselves, when we take the command seriously to go and make disciples, all of that points to the glory of God. And therefore, then, when we die, and we will, unless Jesus comes back first, which would be awesome, by the way, it'd be great, we'll have a meaningful life. Now, here's what that means. It means that I want you to imagine two identical days Two identical days, and here's how this day works. This this person wakes up at 4.58 a.m. because they're a go-getter, and they go to Planet Fitness because it's five bucks a month, or maybe it's 10 bucks a month now, I don't know. Or maybe you have the black card, and it's a little bit more expensive, it's a little spendy. Maybe you go and you work out, you crushed it, you did a great job. Then you go to your job. I don't know what your job is, but you're there for eight, nine hours, and you're just grinding away. You're doing whatever it is your job is doing. Then you go home, and maybe you have kids, maybe you don't. So maybe you make dinner, and then you clean up after your kids 12 times, and then you go to bed exhausted. Or maybe if you don't have kids, you do whatever it is people do who don't have kids. I don't know. Um, Maybe you go for a walk. (laughs) Maybe you have quiet. I don't know, whatever that is. But here's the thing. That's a very ordinary day. There's nothing super like, man, that person. You know, it's, it's an ordinary day. That life, that day can matter or it cannot matter. Literally, the exact same day can either matter or not. It can mean everything or it can mean nothing. It can mean everything or it can be nothing. What's the difference if Christ is in it? If Christ is in your day, if Christ is in your life, If you want to have meaning under the sun, you have to look to the sun. If you want to have meaning in this world, you have to look over the sun (laughs) to the Son of God. 
because you can live a meaningful life going about the everyday activities of your life if you do them through the lens of, God, what are you doing in me and what are you doing through me? God actually commands us to work really, really hard. He commands us to do everything unto the Lord. That means no matter what your job is, if it's scrubbing toilets or if it's doing paperwork or I don't know, working at Nucor, whatever it is, or Whirlpool, or, or if you're an electrician, whatever it is, there is meaning, there is purpose, there is significance in what you're doing. And if you do it excellently, that points to the glory of God. If you pay attention to the details and people are like, why do you care so much? Because it matters. The details matters because God cares about the details. And when we work hard, we don't point to ourselves, we point to God. And so tomorrow morning, when it's Monday morning and you're starting fresh, and it's like, God, help me, help today matter. And it can if Christ goes with you. And the promise of the scriptures are that he does. He's in you. He is within you. He goes with you. He promises to. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so what I want to do, I want to end things a little bit differently this morning. I want to give us some time to reflect and to pause. I want to put two questions up on the screen. I ask these two questions at, at Life Group almost every time we meet. It's two questions. What is God teaching you or speaking to you right now? The, the second part of that is really, really important. How are you going to respond to that? You know, I think a lot of times we, we say, yes, I'm a, I'm a believer in Jesus, but we don't quite get to the follower of Jesus part. We say, yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus, that's great. But then we don't actually follow Jesus. And man, I, I am so guilty. I mean, that's what, that was like a, I, I said I was a believer in Jesus for so long, but then I wasn't actually following him. And so then it was like, well, if you say you believe, then you should actually follow. All that to say, maybe this morning God is saying to you, hey, you need to keep, you need to stop buying in to what we talked about, these different worldviews. You need to stop buying into this idea that life's about you. Because it's not. God has placed you here for a purpose, but life is not about you. It's about him. And so all that to say, I just want to give you a little time. Brad's going to come up here in a second and, and just sort of strum lightly for a couple minutes. So what is God teaching you? What is God speaking to you? And how are you going to respond to that? Let's bow our heads in prayer. I'll pray for us first. And I want to give you some time as well. Father, I'm really, again, grateful for this morning. I'm so grateful for your word that it challenges us and it, it pokes and it prods and it says, listen to the truth. And it's really demanding. But what, I mean, what else are we supposed to do? God, we want to live lives that matter. We want to live lives of meaning. We want to live lives of significance and purpose. But God, we need you by the power of your spirit to help us reject wasting our life by buying into the idea that we can determine truth or that, that we can just pursue whatever it is you, we, we want to pursue. And so, God, this morning, I just want to ask that you would please, by the power of your Spirit, work in us. What do we need to say no to? What do we need to step away from? What do we need to repent of so we're not wasting our life? God, what are you, what are you speaking into our hearts? And so, you know, God, you know. For the one here this morning who doesn't yet know you, Jesus, I, I pray for them right now that they would come to you. And that would look like repentance and faith in you, Jesus, knowing that you have died for their sins and you give them new life. And for the rest of us, I just want us to sit and pray. What is God teaching us? How are we going to respond?